Welcome to No Instructions. I'm Bob. And I'm Josh. And I'm Matt. Hey, hey. Matt Whitman's here. I to- I, that's I, didn't, I forgot I was supposed to do that. Yeah, it's okay. You're new, so it's, it's more it's of a okay. loose structure. Yeah, it really that. is. I feel better. Um, so funny thing happened a couple weeks ago. I don't know, two weeks ago, something. We were recording this show, and Matt called me. Oh yeah. And my phone was sitting here on the desk, and I think you said like, "Oh look, Matt Whitman's calling," mm-hmm. and I didn't answer it. Totally blew him off. No, you did and the right then, thing, Whitman. That's <laughs> best right practice. Thing. So later on that night, I was driving around and I called Matt back. And the phone answers and I hear him giving the wrap up to his podcast. <laughs> and then he goes, oh, yeah, my, my friend Bob Claggett's calling. I'm going to go get that right now. So just oddly enough, we both ended up on each other's podcast. So today, <laughs> on the we same day, just to like actually get the schedule correct, mm-hmm. get together and hang out. So uh, that's what we're going to do. For anybody that doesn't know, Matt, give us the, the spiel as to who you are, what you do. We talk about you actually fairly often on here. Yeah, we do. So people should know, but give us a spiel. That's mortifying. Cool. I'm Matt <laughs> Whitman, and I'm from the West where I like to do mountainy things, and I like the history of ideas, particularly religious ideas. And so I do a thing called the 10-Minute Bible Hour on YouTube where I talk about the history of theology and religion and the Bible and try to do it from a fun educational perspective so that People who don't think all the same things I think could still enjoy hanging around. And then I do a daily podcast on the book of Matthew right now that is cleverly also called the 10 minute Bible. It's a 10 minute Bible hour podcast. And it's more like actually 10 minutes ish. And so it's just a weekday morning thing. And we just try to have fun and keep it loose and process through the text without my dumb biases screwing the whole thing up or without me telling you what to do. So that's pretty much it. We lost a little audio. It's going to be a little sketchy because we're all like doing remote stuff. So if there's weird but gaps. But I think they will hear him fine. They will. But if I act weird or you act weird because we can't hear each other. <laughs> right on. <laughs> it's because we don't know what he said. Yeah. But we heard the end of that. So good. Okay. I thoroughly enjoy, and I've told you this, so I'm not telling you this. I'm telling everybody listening. I thoroughly enjoy uh, the 10-Minute Bible Hour podcast. I listened to it. I, I was really behind. I didn't start until you were probably 70, 80 episodes in. Ooh. And then... Through my time running, I caught up very quickly, and so running will do something that. Something I look forward to. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of time. Faster like than nothing to do moving. but listen. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. That I'm gonna one up you real quick. Okay, go for it. I've been a 10 minute Bible Hour podcast patron from the first day. Well, I think I've been a patron from the first day. Too. Not from the podcast. Yeah, actually. <laughs> oh, were you? <laughs> oh, you knocked now over my reindeer. Reindeer. Uh, speaking of reindeer. Real quick, Matt does not have a set to build because I didn't Mm-mm. tell him to get a set to build. But uh, today we, Matt, uh, Matt, Josh, this guy, both are we're both working on the Elf Clubhouse set from Lego. This, I Aww. got us a a little yeah. uh, little Christmas set. It's adorable. Yeah, it's seasonally it appropriate. Really yeah, I love it. So, I love Christmas stuff. It's just yeah. magical, and every year you get at least a month of magical folklore kind of stuff from our shared heritage and it's just fun and delightful and i lean into it and i already got christmas lights up we haven't even thanksgiving yet i got i got <laughs> went and bought two of those deer you know the light up deer and uh, oh yeah 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 i'm concerned i think some of the neighborhood kids are repositioning my deer <laughs> i admittedly was one of those neighborhood kids <laughs> how can you not have you seen the poses of the two deer man it just begs for repositioning <laughs> it I'm does super disappointed though also yep. awesome i'd like to we 
punch slash high five those kids. Yep. <laughs> and that's why I don't get them because I'm I'm inviting that and I yeah. I can't be like you dang kids. I would have done that same, too. Yeah. yeah. Did you think about pulling out one of the bulbs? In fact, I'm going to do that right now. Now yeah. that you mention it, <laughs> we used to go around. I would do the. I would get the deer in position, and my friend would go and pull like a single bulb on a strand, but not all the way out. Mm. Just so it would break contact, and a whole strand would go out. Right. Because we were just mean butthole kids with nothing else better to do. <laughs> well, that's not what we got together to talk about. Oddly enough, so Matt and I were talking on the phone the other night, and he wanted to talk about the Mandalorian. Yes, I did. And the I like to talk about the Mandalorian. You know, it's know this show is. on Disney Plus about a man named and his DeLorean. I don't. <laughs> it's I about don't know a guy. If we're talking about car. the same show. Like I like yeah. that show too. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that one. Yeah, let's talk about that one instead. No, so we're going to talk about the Mandalorian. And Matt just said he wanted to talk about it, so I'm going to let him take over and start Ooh. the conversation. Uh, Welcome okay. to the podcast. Please lead the podcast. Yes. Okay, well, you guys are working on something, so I'd like to make myself yeah. useful. I'm not building any elf playset, so what else am I doing other than it's hosting a, a podcast? Set. It's going to be great. Yeah. Okay, but let me let me get this figured out first. Now, Robert, I know that you are full-on locked in on The Mandalorian. There's no way you're even an episode behind, correct? Correct. Because you have the soul of a champion and a fighter, and there's oh, yeah. no way you would let a week go by <laughs> with the internet knowing what's going on with that story. I mean, the internet will never be ahead of you on Star Wars. Is that a fair statement? That is a very fair statement. Yes. Golly, I like you. I, <laughs> so, like, like, the one time that I've hung out in your neck of the woods, I remember I showed up there and you were like, huh, we have some time to kill. What should we do? I know, let's go to an 80s toy store. And I was like, yes, we, yeah, yep, that's, that's a correct. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a really fun well. outing. Yeah. Let's do go there and, and let's look at Ram Man for 15 minutes and make comments about all of our yep. fond memories of, Ram, like we thought about Ram Man for He-Man longer in those 15 minutes than the people who invented Ram Man thought about Ram Man. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> We're reading way too much into this stuff. But all of true. that is to say, that means that I know that you are reading deeply into the Mandalorian as well, but I think it's meant to be read into. Joshua, are you a Mandalorian viewer? Were you oh bluffing earlier? Joshua, I'm in trouble now and I have to get on my game. Yeah. I don't know your middle name, but if Sorry. you tell it to me, I will abuse That's it. Okay. <laughs> thank you joshua randall uh, i also love the mandalorian okay uh we have a thing here on fridays where anthony and i will work from home to give bob time just to kind of hang out here and we will do remote work because we all work on the internet and my kids go to a, a homeschool group um on fridays and so they all leave the house around nine and as I'd... soon as that door closes cozy up on the couch and i crank up the mandalorian and I get to just excitedly watch it without a bunch of kids screaming and trying to interrupt and answering a thousand questions. So as soon as they come home, dinner time, we sit down after dinner and like, okay, now we're going to watch The Mandalorian all uh. together as a group. But in the meantime, I can like ask leading questions to my kids to try to prepare them for mm -hmm. what's going on because I already know yeah. what's going to happen by that yeah. time. So it's, I feel like I'm doing them a service rather than removing my just in the moment excitement. So. I love the Mandalorian. I love some Star Wars, and it comes out at what three a.m. I think on Friday. Yeah. On ten, or yeah, I guess tonight. I'm not that diehard. Yeah, but I'll watch it in my jammies in the morning. <laughs> okay, all right. All right. Yeah. So we're all friends. Anthony, out. on the other hand, who's on the other side of the computer, yes. has not watched any he of this season, but he's forfeited his right to um, not be spoiled. We've okay. wanted to talk about it, so we're yeah. gonna wreck it for him then. I mean, yep. yep. What can you do? Okay. So I think uh, we got some ground rules set up. That is that 
we all enjoy this and appreciate it. We're going to have some opinions about it. But obviously there are people who are listening who have not watched the program. And maybe that's because they're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't like to watch. I just, I'm not into space stuff or whatever. And my recommendation to them I don't would process be, you're going to want to watch this. But also, we are going to just start spoiling plot things right now. And I think if they cared, oh, yeah. they'd yeah. already be watching. So I feel like that's, that's the moral arrangement we've made with everyone who's listening. I think that's fair enough. I'm We're sure it'll be in the title. So it's not going to be a surprise. Okay. All right. Okay. I just, you got to be delicate yeah. about these things. You know, I don't want to get Ian McShane over giving stuff away. And then you got to go on the <laughs> offensive and yell at the internet because you spoiled things. So, um, spoilers, we turn off the internet spoilers when ahead. Okay. On the outside chance that somebody is still in with us, even though they haven't watched it, give me your 30 second elevator pitch for what the Mandalorian is. Bob. Uh, the Mandalorian is a story about a bounty hunter who is also a zealot about his beliefs, and he gets thrust into a place where he has to choose doing the right thing over getting paid, and that sets him on a path of being chased down for doing the right thing. That was a really good elevator in, pitch. Josh. In space. In space. Josh, elevator pitch. Mandalorian, go. The Mandalorian is a Star Wars Western with tangential characters to the property that you already know and love. That was, wow. Uh, Bob, nothing personal. But Josh, that was, <laughs> uh, that was pure gold. And I'm not even going to go now because I, I feel like you guys <laughs> accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished here. That was beautiful. That's exactly how it works. Okay. It right. So, <laughs> so I, I assume you guys love it. If you're, if you're this dedicated yeah. and you're this on top of it, where does this compare for you with all the other stuff that's happened in star Wars, like the sequel trilogy, the clone wars, the samurai Jack, animated clone wars from the early 2000s i mean everything's on the table (laughs) where does this rank for you in terms of star wars so you and i matt have very different opinions about most of the movies yes star wars and i are frenemies yeah well i think we have to dive into that before i answer because i want to hear that well so for me to answer your question matt i think the mandalorian is probably uh, we had original trilogy top of the line I think Mandalorian is right below that. It, it really shot past, and I and I enjoy the majority of Star Wars, not the the prequels, the rest of it. Like I, I'm pretty good with, but it shot up really quickly. So I think it's probably right below the original uh, trilogy. All right, Josh, I would agree. Um, I think Clone Wars was kind of fun toward the end. I like Star Wars Rebels, so I would do original trilogy. Mandalorian and Star Wars Rebels holding hands, then hmm. the some of the newer movies, and then the the prequels are not even in this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's okay. they're fan films made by fans who barely saw the original. Saw a poster of the original. <laughs> hmm. Okay. All right. Shots fired. All right. What about you? Uh. Mandalorian is the best thing that's happened in the history of the Star Wars universe for me by a relatively wide margin. And very nice. I I like the the universe even though it's wildly imbalanced and inconsistent in terms of who can do what. I mean it's it's basically a low magic fantasy universe that occasionally your low magic users can just run at light speed except when it would actually help them. And so <laughs> there there just there's so many things that have happened in the movies where you go, 
well, now that wrecks the other eight films. What are you doing? Well, then why didn't you do that there? Yeah. Do you have force o meters? Do you have some kind of like power that was depleted? Like I see sometimes Yoda gets yep. tired after he moves things with his brain, but it's so inconsistent. Oh, we can heal people now? Well, wait a minute. I can think of a few times that would have come in handy. And so for me, the, yeah. I love the universe, but I'm constantly frustrated by the Star, Star Wars universe because it just it just doesn't work. Like Pre Vizsla can whip Obi-Wan Kenobi? What? Why? It, it, like Who is in what position in the pecking order is maddening to me. And what people can pull out of their hip pocket to defeat rivals is is maddeningly inconsistent to me. That said, clear good, clear evil, main characters until the sequel trilogies with problems. Even in the prequel trilogy, as clumsy and poorly written and delivered as that was, the main characters had flaws. And for me, the dividing line between drivel that I watch because it's eye candy and it's kind of fun. And, oh, that was actually, you know, care and effort was put in is right there. Do the characters you see the story through the lenses of, do they have problems that are legitimate? And is there some process by which they overcome that that leads them to heroism and victory? And what I can say for Star Wars is they do that well enough throughout, but the Mandalorian is just on the next level in terms of consistent storytelling look, feel, integrating practical effects and CGI just a little bit and a character you love and the age-old Wolverine and Jubilee, uh, Jean Reno, the professional, and Natalie Portman. I mean, that cold-blooded killer with the innocent, vulnerable youngling. I just love that dynamic. And then to mix that together with Shane where you, I mean, you get the, the gruff cowboy hero that rolls into town and runs off the ruffians. And, and I mean, we need to talk about the music, but I'm gonna let you guys talk about the music. I mean, for me, it tops out. And I would say my second place would actually be the Clone Wars animated series, but not all of it. I mean, when they'd give me five episodes in a row where droids dink around in a storage yeah. container. Yep. Like, what are yeah. you doing? Is, this is TV for babies. And in the next episode, like a group of Mandalorians are going to shoot and kill a bunch of people at a mall. Like how you can't thematically, you just can't jump between these two things the way you guys are doing it. So it's not perfect, but when the Clone Wars is on its game, I, I just I thought it was brilliant. After that, I would go episode five, episode four, episode six, and then some other stuff happened. <laughs> so as the Star Wars universe has expanded, I have went back and given more credit to Rogue One. Because yes. I originally kind of poo-pooed on Rogue One a little mm -hmm. bit. A little bit. But then whenever Solo came out, I immediately like went back to go like, I, I'm sorry, Rogue One, you deserve way more credit <laughs> yes, than, you, it does. than you got from me. And I think some of the, like you talked about visuals, I think the Mandalorian with the way that it shot with the 360 uh, LED projection screens like are amazing. Mm -hmm. And even now with the, the newer season, like with the last episode when the Razorcrest fell in the water, like looking at that, it visually looks fantastic. Yes. And I think some of the <clears throat> the world building, some of the macro shots, like I think that Im dramatically improved with Rogue One, how you got like this low earth orbit view of some of the cities and some of the destruction. And I think that is starting 
to influence the newer stuff. I think it's starting to influence the Mandalorian a little bit more. Like, yes, they're doing smaller stages, but when it is bigger stuff, the the space scenes, you're going from planet to like nearby planet. And so you're getting a lot more detail. You're getting mm. a lot more texture. You're seeing a lot more, which makes me care about those planets that they're flying past, even if they're going you know, pretty fast relatively. Because at so a I subtle level, it, it, it feels like that's actually a planet where people who have value live. Yeah. yeah. And I think that with the Mandalorian diving deeper into the worlds that you don't get to see or the worlds that you see a single representative of is, is really fascinating because it could be anything. It could be anything on those planets. And when they're flying by stuff that is smaller or they're just saying the name of a planet that I might not have heard of with all of the library of Star Wars places that we have been. How many of them on the big screen have been like, oh, that's a deserty one. Or, yeah. Oh, that's an ice looking one. Mm-hmm. And so you get to kind of like, it, it seems as a fan that they're kind of phoning it in and the big screen Star Wars to where now you can pull out the deeper cuts and go, like, let's go to where this one weird looking creature existed that nobody asked for. But we're going to have an interesting story, interesting characters. And now it's going to take place on this planet that literally anything can happen at this point. Mm-hmm. And they're opening it up, and I think it's super fun. So one of the things I think is the best about The Mandalorian um, in context of the rest of Star Wars is that it's the only thing that doesn't that isn't just interesting because it ties back to the original trilogy. Everything else only matters because the original trilogy was there. Yes. The Mandalorian can stand on its own, and it doesn't care. Now, granted, we're starting to see other characters come in, Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, that's that was in that show or that thing. But it doesn't care about Luke Skywalker. I like Luke Skywalker a lot. Mm-hmm. I like R2-D2 a lot. Oh, okay. It doesn't care about those. And it mm-hmm. works without them. And I think that is part of what makes it really stand out. It, it's becoming its own thing. Which is what the sequel trilogy should have been. Yeah. Its own thing. Mm-hmm. And they just missed it. So Did they I ever. think they're getting it now. Well, let me ask you this, Bob. <laughs> Who's your favorite character in all of the Star Wars universe? Oh, man. Say Lobot. Just say Lobot. Just say Greedo. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Spaceship guy I, I'm not sure that I, that I have those, like, <laughs> this Matt's Lobot imitation. <laughs> For anybody who's listening and not watching, uh, Matt doesn't have a lot of hair, but he does have big headphones on, and he looks a little bit like Lobot. Not a little. Um <laughs> I don't think I have a favorite character. Somebody's asked me that before, and I think I have a bunch of favorite characters for different reasons. So I don't think I can narrow it. Okay, down. give me a couple. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I do like Luke Skywalker. I like Return of the Jedi Luke Skywalker, where he like fought through it, kind of owned it, was on his way to becoming something great. I like that one. Uh, I like R2-D2 a lot, and I like Han Solo. R2-D2 is the most important character tactically. Like, if you go... With a simulation overview theory, the outlook on the entire Star Wars universe, and you start moving pieces around, and you're like, what if this person wasn't here at that moment? R2-D2 is the hub of everything. Everything you love yep. is crushed so many times over <laughs> without... Yeah. Without our, so does he have a soul? I don't know. It, it, it kind of feels like he might have a soul. Mm. Well, the newer movies made it seem like if he did have a soul or some kind of battery source that it started to fade... And that really got to me because R2 is my favorite character out of the entire Star Wars universe for a lot of those reasons. Like he is dependable. He is there. He is low key, but he is, 
He's there in a pinch, right? You can hang the medals on Luke and you can hang the medal on Han, but I always imagine that there's somebody like on the inside panel of R2, somebody has spray painted little like dog fight stencils on the inside <laughs> of him for like everything that he has done. Every time he saved everybody's life, yeah. there's like a little everybody. Tick mark. Like yeah. they just like say a little thanks, like you're signing a yearbook on some kind of panel and it just has the laundry list of important characters from the entire universe in there when he saved the day. That's incredible I, because you have this know, whole like, universe of characters that look like you and me, kind of at least. And you guys are both telling me that your favorite or among your favorite character is an upside down trash can. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't look yeah. anything like yep. a per- There's nothing relatable about R2-D2 in terms of physical appearance. But you aren't telling me like, ah, oh, you know, like, like when Lord of the Rings came out, I was like, I like Legolas because I'm skinny and blonde haired and fast. But I didn't think about characters when I first saw that stuff. I was like, well, who looks like me and athletes like me? Well, I like that guy. And then, I mean, he did the elephant stuff. Right. And I was like, okay, well, I can't relate to him anymore. I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> By the time that came out, I was relating more to Gimli. But the, the thing about this, this Star Wars deal is what both of you are saying you connect with in terms of R2-D2 is his soul, his heart, his reliability, his loyalty, his steadiness, his consistency, some of those hobbit-like, underwhelming on the outside looking in character traits that then when you look a little closer, you're like, dang, yeah, there's one for the normal people right on R2. That's cool, even though he's an upside-down trash can. Right. And I think even hmm. R2 being the upside-down trash can, we're introduced to him in, in the timeline, right? So in the prequels, like when you first meet R2-D2, he's a mechanic. He's one of a few mechanics that just was standing in the right place. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think in the Lord of the Rings analogy, like he's Aragorn's horse. Like he doesn't even get to be a, a person. Like he's like every horse in Lord of the Rings wrapped up in one character in Star Wars. Like, do you remember the name of huh. Aragorn's the, horse? The Lord, do what? Do you remember the name of Aragorn's horse? I'm quizzing you, Josh. I don't. It was Melvin. Melvin? <laughs> His name was Dave <laughs> Dole. I just wanted to see if you'd roll with it. No, I don't remember the name Horse of the horse. Horse There's what? Shadowfax was the Lord of the Horses. Yeah, I think that's the only one I remember. But if I. There's Bill. So he's Shadowfax <laughs> and Bill, the pony. That's true. It's Bill. It's Bill. Smushed together into an astromech space mechanic. Hmm. Yeah. To save the universe. So R2-D2 is just standing in the right place at the right time, but he had the character to rise to the occasion is what I'm hearing you say. And I think that yeah. that's the real, like, key heroic indication. Like, that that's Bruce Willis in Die Hard. is a regular old person having me in the right place in the right time and lived up to the moment. But he just lived up to a whole bunch of moments. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So Mandalorian. Let's tie this back. Oh, I am tying it back. Oh, I got it. Okay. I thought you Go guys ahead. were doing the Legos. Let I thought I was going to get that for you. I apologize. <laughs> Here's how it ties Proceed. back. So my point is, theoretically on paper, the Mandalorian shouldn't work because the guy has a bucket on his head the whole time and you can't see his facial expressions. But you're telling me that number one or within the top three for both of you in terms of Star Wars characters is an upside down trash can, which means that for all of the flaws of the Star Wars universe, one thing they know how to do over there is take a character that doesn't look like you, that shouldn't be relatable, and make that character relatable. And I think that is one of the amazing achievements of The Mandalorian, is, I mean, 
I don't even, I mean, I know what the guy looks like because I watched Game of Thrones. But, well, and after what happened in Game of Thrones, maybe it's good to put a helmet on that guy. But the, you know, you don't, you don't relate to him in any way because of the mugging and the facial expressions and all of that business. Yet there's so much personality and depth going on inside that bucket. And I think that's one of the genius things and real accomplishments of the show is you care about the guy, even though you don't see him from episode one. Right. I would agree with that. So I don't know why I care about him, though, to be honest. Cool. Well, yeah, there's a bunch of reasons why he's cool and stuff, but like, I don't know why I'm invested in him. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm glad that I am, but I don't really have it pinned down yet. Hmm. Well, when do you feel you became invested in him? And his name is Din Djarin, right? Am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think, you know, the moment when he put himself aside to save something else, that was the, that was like, oh, well, now I'm rooting for him. And I, yeah, I mean, you could see that coming. You knew that's where it was going to go. But still, like, putting himself in harm's way to protect something else, and then just now it's this habit. Now it's this thing that he continues to do. So you just want to continue to root for him more and more. Yeah. I think that's when it was for me. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think one of the things that helped me care about him was, I mean, obviously, that's the moment. But in those first couple of episodes, just watching him get his butt kicked by the little little people on like the great big, I mean I mean the stinking uh, oh they're not sand people don't don't Jawas don't dang it I, come on he said doom oh sorry yes I mean the Jawas have their way with a Mandalorian bounty hunter in Beskar like what I mean how does that even work yeah. and he gets beat up by an animal and he gets shot a whole bunch of times by a motley crew of other bounty hunters and gang members and some weird dumb space metaphor for a horse, like a big dewdrop clump thing. <laughs> it just munches right on his on arm a whole bunch. Like he couldn't even beat a space horse. And, and so right. I just love the fact that he just constantly embarrassingly gets clunked around in ways where the, I don't know, the, the actor in me is like, man... I hope that suit was well put together because that would be a set disaster to throw you across a room like that. Like, oh, that stuff's just going to come apart. And you just, you feel this agonizing sympathy for all the abuse he takes. And so he's, he's half awesome. And also a lot of it, you look at it and you're like, yeah, that's probably what would happen to me if I tried to do that. And so there's something to aspire to in him in terms of physical characteristics and also something very relatable about the fact that, no, yeah, he just gets his butt kicked a lot. So he gets that kind of daredevil cred. I mean, what's daredevil's superpower? Mm. Everybody would say it's, well, he can see better than a seeing person, but that's not it. He just keeps getting up. It just, that's what Murdoch can do. You can beat on a Murdoch until the end of the day, and they're going to stand up, wipe off their lip, do that Irish fist position thing, and we're going to, we're going to engage in fisticuffs here again. And it's just awesome. You love that guy. And, and I feel like the Mandalorian is a dude who just keeps taking hits and keeps getting up and he keeps getting up, not for cheap revenge, but to do the right thing. And so I don't care that he has a bucket on his head. I love him. That's who I want to be. Hmm. Josh, we didn't ask you. Because if you saw him, he would be less relatable to you as a person. Say what? So if he took, like when he took the helmet off, then you had to see Pedro Pascal. You couldn't see yourself. Oh, Hmm. that's smart. 
Dang, that's a good take, man. Yeah, I had not. And thought I, about I think that, that I, I agree. I, I think that his steadfastness in what he's doing, he's given a job. He has to do that job. Part of me is like, well, I don't know if he has anything else to do. He has no family. He has nothing else. He has one identity right now. That's to be a Mandalorian. And so to live up to that seems to be that he's the yes man, like regardless. Hmm. And it could have been, that could be a departure from Mandalore. Like, oh no, I got to go do a bounty or I got to go do a whatever. And it seems like, oh, we need your help. Okay. All right, we need you to do this thing and go defeat this thing. Yeah, okay, let's do that too. Hmm. And so part of me is like, I, I want to see myself in that dedication. But like after you saying that, Matt, admit, I wonder like, what else does he have going on? Well, nothing, because, I mean, even after he finished his first bounty at the mm. beginning of the season, he went to Grief Cargo, mm-hmm. weirdest name in the world, and immediately wanted more. And the guy was like, ah, oh, take a break, you know, like, go enjoy yourself. And he's like, no, I want to work. He doesn't have anything else. And, and that was the evidence of it right there. Like, I have nothing except more. And know? I wonder, like, initially, because he's a bounty hunter, and that name implies that you're doing something a little shady for monetary benefit, that it cast him in a light of like oh he's just he's greedy and wants more money and he's good at punching faces so just go punch more faces equals go do more money yeah and now he's doing these side missions for seemingly not really heroic reasons but for for more like honorable reasons maybe his his deed as a mandalorian was just because that was in demand not just because Mm. he wants to be or not i mean a bounty hunter because it was in demand just because he just wants to keep doing yeah. And keep going and keep doing more. And now that he has a more honorable route, other than just punching faces for money, like, I, I wonder what else it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead to. So, like, once he puts the child back or he delivers the child, as was his quest, like, what then? He can't really go back to the guild. Hmm. So, he still has to keep going doing something. And... I think diving into season two, like I think we're probably going to in some of the like paths that I'm sure inevitably are going to intertwine, like that could set that character up for many, many seasons just because of the the nature of that character. Like he has to be doing something for good, for profit, hopefully not for evil, but that could be a fun character arc. He's just going to go. Hmm. Yeah. I, I agree with both of your overarching takes there. I disagree on his motivation when he goes back to Carl Weathers to figure out what to do next. Like, I think there he's so overcome with guilt. And he's overcome with guilt because mm-hmm. when he was left alone and put in the tornado shelter and the battle droids were coming to kill him, somebody came along and drew him out of it and didn't let him be killed and took him under their wing. And he's a man with a moral compass because of his relationship with his parents that he's old enough to remember. Uh, He saw them lay down their lives to spare their sons. I mean, what a formative event that is. Hmm. And then along comes a Mandalorian who saves his life again. And instead of just like, "Eh, this will consume resources. No, thanks. They had an ethical place in their construct of their religion and their understanding of right and wrong for that kid to fit in. And so they not just saved his life, they gave him a place to fit and belong and a purpose and a direction and a moral direction. And then what? He goes along and he finds some kid who's being hunted by droids 
and he rescues this kid and now he's not going to give away what's been given to him. I might do this, this uh, Bible thing that we talked about at the beginning and lots of people have lots of opinions about the Bible. And I understand it's a book that it's been around for 2000 years. A lot of weird crap gets done with it. And yeah, it's a big book. It's confusing. It's cool. But like one of the central themes, whether you think there's a God involved in that document or not, is that Jesus' expectation in the New Testament is anything God has given you, you're supposed to give that away. You've been given forgiveness, you got to forgive other people. You've been given grace, you've been given patience, you got to give that away. And so I think what happened is, is a very profound moral moment where he just wants to get away from the, the utter feeling of hypocritical guilt hmm. that is racking his soul because he did not give away that thing which was given to him, which was the most decisive, important gesture that anyone had ever given him in his whole life, and he withheld it from somebody in need. So give me somebody to shoot. No, I do not want to go to a Twilight bathhouse. Mm, I right. want to go kill some more people. I want to go far, far away from all of this, but he can't bring himself to leave the planet. And that's a moment I fell in love with him was when he's sitting there hmm. in the Razor Crest, thinking it through, and, and of course I could be projecting here, but for me, I mean, when I watch that scene for the first time, I'm like, he can't, he can't not give away what he's been given. If he starts that ship and he leaves this planet, he is a villain and he knows he's crossed over into villain because he wasn't willing to give away the thing that he was given when he was so in need. And then he looks down at the, you know, the little ball thing yeah. mm -hmm. is iconic at this point and he can't do it. And I cheered out loud. I mean, that's only like episode <laughs> two or three you know I'm, I'm not that invested yet and i cheered out loud in the room and i do that thing that i do where i get emotional over a handful of very narrow ideas but there's just things that give away what you've been given thing it just triggered me and i did the thing where i don't cry in front of my kids but i do that <laughs> <laughs> like just that just yeah. that little i got this i'm cool and i was in love with the show from that minute forward i mean what a beautiful hmm. motivating tension to move our character forward. I mean, what is so expensive for him to give away what he had been given and dang it, he's going to do it anyway. And, and so I, I, he, he is threatening to become my new favorite star Wars character wow. of all time, just because of the first three episodes. And again, could be reading all of that wrong, but that, that's my take on what was going on there. That actually makes a whole lot of sense. And I did not see that correlation. It's really clear now that you say it. But I didn't see that um, at all. But it actually does kind of put him in a new light. Um, that that moment, because as soon as you started talking about that, I remember that moment of him looking at the the control on his dashboard and being like, mm -hmm. "Oh yeah, I see. That's when it hit him, and like that's when he realized what he should be doing versus what he was about to do." And huh. And I think the, well. I think the child's cuteness kind of overshadowed that moment for him because i yeah. think a lot of people yeah. were just so like you can't abandon that adorable little puppy yeah and it's like that's eyes. not why he, he doesn't want a pet yeah. even though he said he had enough pets in the last episode which was fun yeah but like it's still i i, I really love that take and it, i think it goes toward his motivation but it also excuses his like poor parental behavior because hmm. he's not out to be the dude's the, the, the child's dad Right. He's bonded he with him, right? He's he's a mentor at this point, even though the thing can barely walk and feed himself, you know, in the strangest ways. But he you know, he kinda treats him like a pet in the last couple yeah. of episodes or like this little toddler. But at the same time, he's just like, Go over there. 
and closes the door and then goes has an escapade or like stay with this stranger for a little bit and goes and does a, a, an epic voyage. So I, I think maybe the ability to project onto that mask that you can't see the character. Like I, I start projecting the, the father. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm trying mm. my best to try to take care of this thing that mm. can probably, I mean, can live without me a lot of ways. And so I project that onto that character. Mm. But I think his backstory that we're led to, to see over those couple episodes, which I think his parents could have fit in that that bunker too, by the way <laughs> I'm pretty sure they yeah, could that was a well. that was a don't let let go jack moment i think it was more of like a one of those they're a diversion yeah diversion like they hide him away That's and then like look we're it. going yeah. over here robots and they I run off to the side didn't and... put anything in that storm shallow yeah. yeah yeah but it proved to be irrelevant because they got hit by some kind of explosive i mean that I, i'm sure they weren't anticipating a mortar smacking down on that spot but the way the doors kind of flip up after the impact you know they weren't shot; they were exploded. Yeah, yeah. So I think they had a plan to probably draw attention away from that spot, but it's really hard to anticipate mortar fire. <laughs> I, now, yeah, I now do you so. think a lot of his the, the positive attributes you put on the Mandalorian is that he is disciplined and like steadfast to to a to a code? Like, is that mm-hmm. important to that relatability or to that that? Uh, just liking the character for the the non-emotional person that it is. Because it's hard to, like you're saying, it's hard to connect with someone you can't see their face. Do what? Right. I've been, that's what, exactly one of the questions I've wanted to ask you when I called wanting to talk about it. So I, I want your take before I give mine. Like how much do you think, the Josh's question, how much do you think the discipline is important to you caring about the character? Uh, I think it's a lot of it. I mean, he's got a duty... To, you know, as a parent, I love my kids a lot. My kids can also be turds a lot. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Uh, so in those times of them being terrible or, or me being impatient with them being as they should be, is probably more of the truth. That's when the duty of being a father kicks in. That's when it's just like, well, I know what I should be doing, even though I'm looking at you and I'm angry or I'm frustrated or I'm irritated or I'm tired or I'm whatever the million excuses I could come up with. I have a duty to be these things for you because that's what I signed up for. That's what I decided at the beginning. And so good at it. Thank you. Uh, Like you were saying before, he's not a father and he doesn't have those same things, but he does have a, well, I agreed to do this thing. And so I'm just going to figure it out as I go, but I'm going to stick to that. Because he's had a million chances to be like, I don't know, I tried, but I accidentally kicked the kid off the boat. And like, I don't know what monster got him. I don't know. There's like, monsters yeah. everywhere. You yeah. got to, I mean, cut me some I size. gave it a shot, you know, but he doesn't do that. Like he, he doesn't relent on that thing that he signed up for. And I, that is probably a big part of it for me. In those first couple of episodes, just, I mean, season two, he lets his guard down because he wants so badly to believe that these squid people can take him to others of his kind. And in doing so, his boneheaded decision and inattentiveness that is usually a strong suit betrays him, but worse, it betrays the kid. And the kid ends up in the gaping maw of some giant lamprey monster that we don't get to fully see. And again, that was one of those moments where I didn't do the... because the kid got kicked into the mouth of that monster. I did it because dad went straight into the fires of hell to save his kid without a second's hesitation. 
And the reason that I had that emotional moment right there with two of my three kids inside each of my arms and the other one in front of me all gasping in terror was because I hope I would do it. I mean, I, I'd, I'd boast about it, you know, casually over drinks. Like, yeah, would you take a bullet for your kid? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't know. Fear is a real thing. And right. so all of that, all of that violent conditioning, that Spartan conditioning that Din Djarin had gone through to see him channel all of that violence and experience with hostility into, I don't care what this costs me in this moment. My sole responsibility is to protect that kid. I mean, it wasn't even a thought. It was beautiful. Right. What a moment. What an evolution of the character. So in when he jumped in, my first thought was, I mean, the kid, you know, the monster pulls it down and he just immediately goes straight in. And my first thought was, he's going to drown because that helmet shouldn't keep him alive. Like, he's he's giving himself up. Like, I don't know how mm-hmm. this would work out story-wise, but, like, he's not in what he needs to go down there and kill a monster. Now, obviously, he, he was and they have some special air tightness or whatever. But it wasn't just like, well, I'm in my space suit, so I'm going to go underwater and fight the thing. It was like, I don't have what I need to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. That was my first thought. Yeah. Because I didn't think their helmets would seal and they should be able to breathe underwater in those helmets. And maybe they couldn't. I don't know. Uh, but, I don't, does that work? It doesn't yeah. look like it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the second time that I can think of in the show where there's a moment of clear concession to death. And mm-hmm. I don't know... Hmm. I mean, okay, well, I can imagine on dry land what it looks like for him to go into the belly of the beast and emerge victorious because I saw that in season two, episode one. I, I know that can work. We're led to believe that maybe Boba Fett did something similar. I think we get um, a preview of an explanation for how things may have worked out should Boba Fett have survived the Sarlacc pit in episode three based on what we saw Din Djarin do. So... We've seen that, but it never felt like when he was holding the bantha and trying to get the crate dragon to devour him, like he was laying down his life. It's a plan. He's got yeah, this one. Right. But when he was facing the egg, mud, horn, monster, rhino yep. thing. Stuck the knife out. Yeah, and it's just this. Yeah. It's this. This is the last okay, ditch. This here is we my go. last like, I will die with a weapon in my hand. That's all it was. Like, it's over. I'm dead. The kid's dead. I, got, I gave everything I could. There's nothing else I can do. But I will not go down without the last option I have to do what I'm here for. And he's not even he's not even in dad love with the kid yet at that point. And to me, you're right, Bob. I, I had the same reaction. To me, it looked like I will die, but maybe there's the slightest chance. I, like, I don't know. I, this is dark to think about. But if my kid were in a situation where it is unfathomable that both of us come out of whatever they got into and pretty much unfathomable that either of us would come out. I think I still go in. Yeah. I just love them so much. I, I and what would the rest of life look like for me if I didn't, you know, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I lost a brother. There's nothing I could do about what happened to him. Nothing. And still, where does my brain go? I mean, we haven't talked about this, but you can guess where my brain goes. Like, ah, one more phone call. Like, if I just checked in the morning of the accident, like, maybe that sets things back. Two minutes or even five seconds. Five seconds would have solved that. You know, and, and on something that there's no guilt to be had. I mean, stuff happens. Accidents happen. It's, it's sad and I miss him, but accidents happen. 
Still, you take those counterfactual hypotheticals with you through all of life. How much more so would you do that if you truly loved somebody who was your charge, yours to care for, and in that moment, you froze, you did nothing. Mm. And so, yep, it was another weepy moment for me, dude. And I, I will dial back the emotion on how much this is brought out of me, like to from a nine out of 10 where it's been for the last 10 minutes here to like a five, <laughs> just for the sake of us enjoying our conversation. We're sorry about that. I got, got a little into it. No, I think that's awesome. We've cried on this show before. Oh yeah, totally. It's easy. It's easy to forget those moments because they pass by so quickly in the show, right? Like you, yeah. you see that happen and you're like, oh man. And then, oh look, more Mandalorians. Oh neat. There's more. Th- oh cool. You know, lasers. And, yeah, to to not like focus on those is super easy because it does keep moving. I have noticed every time that I've gone back to watch each episode of this season so far, I I've watched it in the shop by myself, and like when I've been doing something else, so it's kind of in the background. But then I already like mentally can hear the points where I need to kind of like stop. This is the part that I need to fix on again because I saw it the first time this is the part that matters. And that going underwater was one of those parts that mattered. Mm. And so, I mean, I think in the moment you can easily pass over theirs and, you know, kind of not process them fully. But if you go back and watch that stuff by yourself, I I think you fix in on some of it. Well, that moment for me, like jumping in. So, excuse me. So I was an underwater survival instructor. Uh, The, the Docker training that Dustin did, like I did that. Yeah. And there was this rule that we had that, so I would be underwater for about two and a half to three minutes at a time holding my breath with students in front of me. And we had a thing that you would never, like, never leave a student. Because if you left, they have no one down there to, to save, like, legitimately save them. You're training them to save themselves. That's the whole point. And so the part of that scene that really got me is not the, you know, the id kicking in when he just jumps in the water without looking around, just like, boom, reacts. When he came up out of that water without the child, that's the piece that hit me. And I'm like, hmm. you do not come up out of that water without that kid. Hmm. And I think in the the Star Warsy superhero like experience that people have consuming, it's like, oh well, he's he's eaten. Like, oh no, like there's no way that Baby Yoda is going to be eaten by some monster on some shrimp boat with some squid face. Like, come on. <laughs> and he comes up out of the water without him. And that's when the other Mandalorians come and his his first like gasping audible sound is get the child. Yeah. And that voice that he used. And when he said that, he I was like failing, Ooh. he yeah. is failing at his, like, like we talked about, like his established, like you care for that thing. No excuses. Mm-hmm. Mandalorian. Absolutely none. You do what you have to do. And he couldn't. Hmm. And he had to rely on, on these strangers. And in that desperation, yes. like that desperation in his voice really got to me. That, like, yes. please, God, somebody do the thing that through all of my effort, all of my preparation, all of my gumption, all of everything I have, I could not do. Somebody I don't know who kind of looks like me, sure, in a flash, take over for me. Hmm. Yeah. And that person stepped up. And just that feeling, like, that that garbled, like, get the child is what kind of twisted that knife in me. Because that's, like... When I was at work, there were times where I'm like, I'm going to pass out because this person is stuck and I'm fighting somebody underwater. Like they're kicking and punching me because they're just afraid and they don't know where they are. It is up to me to save this person. I've been in those situations. It's so crazy. And there's a, I will not leave this person 
and I never did. And so when he came up out of that water, initially it was, don't you dare get back in that water right now. Hmm. And then him gargling and having to just relinquish that to somebody else. Like that is, like you talked about, he stared down death with the mudhorn. He stared down the crate dragon, whether in desperation or in planned bravery. In that moment, all of his traits as a Mandalorian were exhausted. Hmm. And he went, someone else has to do this because I can't do this. And that's the part that got me about that scene. I'm like, ooh, that is vulnerability. Hmm. That is a a Mm -hmm. break in the armor and asking for help when he has very, very few times had to own up and ask for help. Like he did it when you're talking about writing the, uh, the blurgs. <laughs> yeah. The blurgs. Blurgs. That's what it is. But yeah. this was a, a micro failure. Huh. And that is the part in that scene that got me. That cracking in his voice. Two things that, that jump off the page for me about uh, the words you just put down. Uh, one, I like the fact that if he had to be bailed out by outsiders that he got bailed out by extended family, adopted extended family, because what's going on in the exchange there? He is the adopted extended family dad of that kid. And so you could argue like, well, if baby Yoda, if the child gets saved by Din Djarin there, it's kind of ex machina. It's kind of a contrivance. You'd like to see the hero learn to save themselves a little bit, but they're adopted family. And so then the people who show up, I mean, it's like third cousins of an adopted family. So at first I felt like, oh, look, it's the Eagles. And then I thought about it more and I was like, no, no, it's not because they're there because of a relationship that matters and a code of connectedness that though frayed and thin was still very present with the, I mean, I guess, I, I mean, I think of that as being the Night Owls group from yeah. mm-hmm. Rebels and, and yeah, Clone Wars, but uh, <clears throat> it had a dude in it, so I don't know if it's a modified group of that, because I think the Night Owls were all female warriors, but whatever. Yeah. You know, but, but no, it's not a contrivance. They're not the Eagles. It's not a failure in the writing. It makes perfect sense that they would be there, and that it's just another level deep of extended family. So it's almost like, in that moment, the child who has been adopted is no longer just adopted by an individual, but now is adopted by the adopted family of his adopter. And so I thought it was a pretty cool thing. And the second observation that I have from your remarks, which I thought were incredibly insightful, Josh, is that in the defense of Din the helicopters don't have eight rings of teeth. They are not animated and they are not trying to eat you. So, I mean, you're working against somebody else there. You know, I'm, I'd be prepared to cut him a little slack. And he did go back down. Like before the rescue happened, Mm -hmm. he was trying to get his heir to go back and take another. I mean, what a horrifying claustrophobic situation. But my, oh, yeah. I said I yeah. only had my two, wife, but my, oh, my wife hated that part. She used to come to work and watch me, and she would hate it when I did that job. <laughs> Excuse me, that choked my own spit. <laughs> when I did that job and to watch that, she's just like, mm mm, mm mm. She, oh, yeah. She was visually get all unsettled. like antsy. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think going back to the, the question I asked about discipline, uh, I think it's very just welcome as a viewer to see people who are disciplined and who stick to a code and the moment that they show up one of their kind is like get them and they're like done right 
there's no more than that. Mm. It's that scene in, in, to in, convince the, him. Yeah, in the town yeah. when he's like, yo, I need you. We're going to go like bash some people. He's like, whose car are we taking? Mine or yours? That, yeah. that dedication to, like Matt, like you're talking about, to family. And I think everybody wants, whether they actually have it in real life or not, they want their family. They want that tight group of people to be there for them no matter what. And so he had never met those people before. They shared, as we come to find, like some dissimilar beliefs, even in their family circle. But they have that tightness. They have that relationship. And it was warming to see in like an era of just uncertainty that there is discipline. There is steadfastness to a cause. And there are people that are willing to just to be there and to, to openly sacrifice for a complete stranger. Right. Even though they share like the smallest thread. They have masks that look the same. Yeah. That's it. And it's, yep, done. I'm going. And I think we would all yeah. like to think our our neighbors or our community or our family would have that same just apprehension to hesitation when it comes to mm. help or camaraderie or togetherness and i think that that scene in particular like i envisioned a whole bunch of people around me just being like kind of holding each other a little closer when there's just that that family element the strengthening of a bond between people that is really not that strong right yeah like that could be any of us and one of the things i really to kind of go off that one of the things i really like about his character is that he's a superhero but not because he's a superhero he like he has the stamina and the drive of, of course I can do it. But he doesn't feel that way. He doesn't act that way. He doesn't act like, well, I can do anything, so I'm just going to go save these people. Or I'm just going to mm-hmm. go kill this giant animal. He he fails all the time, like you were saying earlier. He gets beat up all the time. It's not like he walks through the fire and comes out and says, well, of course, I'm Captain America. <laughs> I can do whatever I want to. You know, He's not that I guy, but he still day. has the the experience and the traits and the outcome of being a superhero only because he's unhumanly driven to do something. And I think that's really cool because, you know, it's and easy I, to and like, I would add to something, the right thing. I think right. he has a code and I think he cares about the right thing, not just something. Right. Yeah. I think it's easy to look at all the Marvel stuff, which I love. And be like, oh man, if I had a billion dollars, I'd do what Tony Stark is doing too. Oh, if I had human, like whatever serum to make me superhuman, I would do that thing too. But I don't get the feeling that he has any of that. He has worked his butt off to get some armor, which maybe, you know, keeps him from dying a little bit more, but he's just a dude. Um, and And I think that shines in moments like that where he has to jump in after the thing and he doesn't have the physical like superhero-ness to just stay underwater long enough to get it done i think that it comes out he goes charging down the hallway full of stormtroopers to yeah throw the grenades to take one for the team yeah he wasn't probably expecting to come out of that they were all gonna die yeah yeah i think that goes back to powers are discipline his super power his superpowers are discipline and adoption Hmm. that's it so he is batman i mean right you know yeah you, mm. he gets adopted by his butler after the death of his parents and uh, <laughs> except except I, I i like him i mean the the psychosis thread of how batman has evolved is uh it's not present in the mandalorian the other thing i really hmm. like about the mandalorian is he's humble it's just the the i mean you just reference this bob but the, it's this 
humble. Yes, I can handle my business. I mean, it's like it's like your rugged individualist man of the West. It's a cowboy. I mean, he is a Wyoming cowboy. And uh, I fancy myself that guy being a, I mean, my family is Wyomingite. I'm Wyomingite. I live a couple miles from Wyoming now on the South Dakota side. But I mean, that, look, you're a man of the South. There's something about being a Southern man. That means something. It is in your blood a little bit. It affects the way you conceive of self. And I really respect it. Uh, there's something about being a city guy. It gets in your blood a little bit. Like mm-hmm. you're a person who moves in the city in the night and it, it affects the way you conceive of self. There is something about being a person who intentionally lives in a wide open wind swept place filled with the biggest, meanest animals that still live on our continent and voluntarily going into the wilds every day because you want to. It doesn't make you brave or awesome or anything like that, but there's, it just gets in your blood. There's an identity to it. It's, of course, overwrought and a little bit nonsense, but also a little bit not. And so I look at the Mandalorian and I connect with him more than any character I've ever seen in the Star Wars universe. I can't move things with my mind. I mean, I'd love to. If I could pick any power, it'd be telekinesis, Kyle. It's not even close. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I would murder myself with lightsabers on my first day. I can't do that. I probably not particularly good at piloting a starship, but that be brave and go into difficult places and lean on careful preparation and hard work. I can't do it as well as Din Djarin, but I can a little bit do that. Right. I'd like to aspire to that. And so I, I just, I connect with this guy so much more than any other character I've seen in the star Wars universe. And I've only seen his face for a second. I just, I think that's maybe I'm predisposed to like him because of where I'm from and how I spend my days, but man, it's working. I don't think and so though. I mean, I, I think you find those things in common with him, but I find different things in common with him. And the things that you just mentioned are yeah. things that you can practice. You can't practice magic. You can't practice, you know, force jumping or whatever. No, no, uh, but those are, those are actual things jumping. that you can intentionally get better at in your own life. And that, that's the stuff that you're going to connect with anybody over, you know? Yeah. What do you guys think about the child? Is Do you feel like his he has a character, and if so, that that character is evolving? Or do you feel like at this point he's still more of a prop, a MacGuffin? I'm... Go ahead. <laughs> I think that arc turned into a, to a bump in that respect. Yeah. I think in season two he has not pulled his weight as much as he had in season one. Like, he, he's now, I think, a prop. He's a gag. And we're three seasons into season two. Three and, episodes in. Yeah. Huh? Three episodes in. Three episodes, sorry. Three episodes into season two. Three episodes into his appearance in season one. Like, he did stuff. He not only was cute and poked behind, you know, the, the, the blanket and flew around in a little thing. He's moving entire mud horns with his mind. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm wondering when he's going to stop being... Like uh, a, a puppet, hmm. and and start kind of contributing again. Like, yes, he is. He he's baggage at this point. Right. He's not, hmm. not even a sidekick. Or he could have been a sidekick in the last season, and now he's just like he's a pet. I feel like, and, and maybe this is giving them too much credit, but I feel like um, the the team that's making this is thinking about everything, and so I have to assume that his propness so far in the season 
is either on purpose yeah, or I is going to get purpose. rectified. Because I, I do think like he he should be doing more, but they may be holding him back for a reason. And I don't know what that reason is. I'm not I'm not mm. that person to figure that thing out. Um, but I also think that they're expanding the character list so quickly, which I enjoy from a fan perspective, but makes it harder and harder for him to be important in the as more than a piece of luggage. Baby Yoda? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because like he's the he's the purpose of uh Din going out and meeting these other people and moving along, but if we just continue to focus on the two of them and Baby Yoda wiggling his hand and saving Din every once in a while and whatever, then you don't get the stories of Bo Katan coming in and saving everybody or mm-hmm. Ahsoka coming in and saving whatever she ends up saving. Oh, and, we gotta get to that. We gotta get to that. Yeah. So I think he's a prop, but I think it's on purpose. Okay. Right now. I would like to think we can still be friends after I vigorously disagree with both of you. Okay. <laughs> Tension. <laughs> um, I think they made Baby Yoda. Right, I mean, any more of him being a player in season one would have been too much. Then he's the Eagles. Like, oh, well, you should hmm. just use your power now. It's like in bad Marvel X Men universe movies where it's like, ah, I'm so afraid. Oh, now I watch that friend get murdered and now that one if you murder one more i'm gonna manifest my mutant abilities and save everybody and you murdered him now i'm mad fire from the eyes death raining you should have done that before all your friends got killed you idiot if i'm related to those three people i am super mad about that any more of the buttons they were pushing with the child and it would have it would have risen to that level for me what I love about what they're doing in season two is they're giving a character that can't even talk yet is effectively a, an early toddler a, a set of problems. He has character problems. He does not have clarity on his empathy meter is still low. Hmm. He recognizes some people and feels empathy, but others he doesn't feel. And so... Everybody got all bent out of shape because Twitter and the internet and the whole dang thing is just stupid. And if there was a button where I could turn it off for a week right now, I'd push the button. Like we just need a, we need a reset on how to talk to each other and how to get along. But of course, Twitter melted down about the eggs thing. And I get it. It's a metaphor for genocide or abortion. I mean, it doesn't matter what you think politically. There's something to be mad about or read into it there. But here's what's actually going on. It's consistent with the child's character flaw which is that his empathy is hmm. not yet developed after 50 years of life. And he's not quite sure what gets treated which way. And he kind of takes cues from his adopted dad, but he doesn't know. And so he pops those eggs that are unfertilized, by the way. So, yes, it's kind of funny. Yes, it's kind of cute. There's a little bit of a gag there. But it's not so funny when he's getting eaten. And when he comes out of the belly of the beast we see a little bit of a softening. Now, I don't want some cheap transformation where he goes from having problems to, oh, there was a five-second moment where I was in the belly of a beast, and wow, I don't... Maybe eating other things isn't so nice because I didn't like being eaten. I don't want it resolved. I just want to see progress. And what did we see? A character that can't talk and is effectively a baby made character progress on his weakness because now that that egg is hatched and he's hanging out with the frog people, everybody's like, oh, he's going to eat their baby. I'm sorry. I can't go there with you, baby Yoda. Don't, don't, do not eat that baby because I will turn on you. 
And he doesn't. There, there's an empathy that is developed. There's an awareness of, oh, somehow this is me. And there's a connection there. And so, the, I mean, the writing challenge of creating a character flaw for a baby in a movie where people get shot and killed and then having that baby make progress on that character flaw by going through ordeals and suffering themselves is very difficult. It's a big challenge. But I feel like we saw him move forward. So I understand the impulse to be like, I need to see him do more like, you know, he needs to be Robin. Like he needs to contribute a little something here. But I feel like before he's ready to do that and point the weapon of his mind at anything else, he needs to get his crap together about where you point that weapon and some set of of values or sense of morality about how the world works and who other people are and what constitutes another person. And he's made progress on that. So I actually find him to be a more likable, less horrifying character because of what he's gone through. And I'm liking his progress. And I think you're right, Josh. Hmm. Well, I think you're both right that we're going to see more of that, the child getting into the action as we move along. But he had a problem that needed to be overcome or at least made progress on before you could have him wade out into some kind of pitched battle or he was going to screw things up. Hmm. You may so, now disagree. By back. that logic, by that logic, he shouldn't be randomly eating things. Well, I don't know. I mean, make some kind of progress. So I didn't look at that quite the same. I, I mean, I thought about, I, I guess, in a similar way. But from when he was eating the eggs, I looked at it as he could be eating fruit. From his perspective, there's no difference between an orange and that floating orange that's in the the Kool Aid tank. You know what I mean? Like, sure. and then when he ended up with the, the little frog monster swimming around in the bowl, he was like, "Oh, look, that's like a that's like a little me. That's like a, a thing that's different than fruit." And so, I guess it's a similar, uh, you know, a recognizing two different things. But I didn't quite get the same, you know, empathy uh, towards it based on his own experience because as soon as he got kicked out over the monster, his egg shut. And then he didn't see anything except for noise and blasters and water until the thing was ripped open when he was out. So I didn't quite make that same thing. But still, progress forward in what he defines as life, I guess. He seems to have changed. He seems like a less flat character after the episode. And who knows? I mean, we just don't have enough data. It could be that we're not we, because you're not reading into it. It could be that I'm reading into that character arc. But all the characters who matter in this show change. No flat main characters. They, they yeah. all have an issue and they all grow and evolve. It's very hard to make a baby evolve. And it might be a little bit of a contrived thing to evolve on. But you'll very quickly not relate to Baby Yoda if Baby Yoda is just whatever Baby Yoda is and doesn't need to change. Because look at those eyes. Like, <laughs> I, I, as crazy as this sounds, I need the baby to have problems right? and I need the baby to grow and learn things and improve on those weaknesses. Hmm. And, and I, and I think I saw that years old. Maybe right I didn't. Now. So that progression would be theoretically a lot slower right. than what yeah. we would expect. Yoda years versus like dog years yeah. versus human years. Well, okay. I don't want to rush this, but we are over an hour and you mentioned Ahsoka or I mentioned Ahsoka and you said you want to talk about it. Let's jump to yeah. that. 
Okay, let me ask you this question for both of you. Okay. Uh, Josh, first, do you like Ahsoka Tano? How much do you care about her? I care about Ahsoka a lot. I think Ahsoka Why? is an amazing character. I think I haven't finished Rebels, so apparently there is one key component of her character that I need to put into this puzzle. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. say, five episodes before the end of Rebels, I very much like Ahsoka's character. I think the the discipline, the she has a path, she has agency, like all those things I really love about that character. The The potholes that greater Jedi have fallen in, she has not. Mm-hmm. I really respect that. So from what I have uh, in the canon so far, I think Ahsoka is a great, great character. Cool. Bob? I think she's a good character. I'm not in love with... I mean, I think it's she's fine. It, she's a variation on the Jedi thing, and I think that's what I like about it. The fact that she has the Force power and chose not to be the Zealot, which they all... They're like, their main goal is to be a knight, Ooh, like, I don't know why that's so important. Like, you can use the Force without that. You can make your own lightsaber without that. You don't have to be a part of the club. And she chose not to. So I think that's cool. Just the fact that we have some variation and it's not these, like, super polar, well, my eyes are going to be yellow and my name's going to be Darth bleh, or I'm a knight and I wear the robes. Like, there is something in the middle, finally. I think that's cool. Yeah, she's a third-party voter. Yeah. She's a weebelow. She doesn't want to be the <laughs> scout. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah your thoughts. Um, do your kids like her? Um, I think my daughter likes her a lot because she's a female. She gets stuff done. She can, you know, take care of herself. She's smart. She's fast. Stuff like that, which I don't like those things about her as well. Um, I don't know that they have the context for, uh, I, I think my daughter likes the female characters more, obviously, than well, sure. than my boys do, because she identifies with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think past that, it's you know she's just another character. Yeah, my daughters love Asajj Ventress. They just they look up to her. <laughs> it's someone they aspire to be like. <laughs> haircut. They're used haircut. To the, the no hair. <laughs> she's got really nice lips. No, um, my my daughters, uh, all three of my kids, just adore Ahsoka. I, hmm. It's, I mean, far and away their favorite Star Wars character. Not even close. My middle daughter had this little blue shirt when she was a little girl that said Jedi in training. And it's this little baby Ahsoka with her, you know, reverse lightsaber grip. And it's, oh, I miss that shirt. I get old. <laughs> and just, I mean, I love them now. I mean, every day is yeah. the new best day I've ever had with them. But, oh, I miss Jedi in training time. That was <laughs> wonderful. And, um, <laughs> We were in we were in Yellowstone. We you know we live right next to Yellowstone, so we run over there all the time, several times a year. Just go over and hang out and go to the obscure places. But this time we were at Old Faithful. We were eating at the restaurant there across the way, waiting for Old Faithful to fire up. And there's a dude in there, and he has a a typical tattoo green tattoo on his arm of a nondescript Mandalorian. It's you just couldn't tell you for sure who it is. And my daughter noticed the tattoo and he's like, Hey, you know who that is? And my two daughters started debating whether that looked more like the coloration of Jango Fett's helmets or Boba Fett's helmet. And he was kind of tickled by that. And, uh, 
you know, he was patronizing young kids. And so he goes movies with them. He's like, do you guys like Luke Skywalker? And that was invitation enough for my kids to go into every obscure bounty hunter. And well, Bosk is an interesting character. And I think, oh, oh, wow, kids, you're doing well. You're like, <laughs> you're bringing up the names of Star Wars characters. A guy with a Boba Fett tattoo hasn't heard of. I love you. I'm proud of you. This is a big moment. But Ahsoka, she's the queen of Star Wars for them. And, and I love her, too. Um, a little bit Mary Sue-ish at times. But like Josh was saying, she's just good. Consistently good. And her fighting style is cool. And, and I don't know if I've told you guys about the thing that I have because I have daughters with the little girls in the dangerous situation, but they're brave and they move fast and they demonstrate courage against these giant imposing figures that want to hurt them and others. And they stick up for people in need. I just ball. I I don't know. Like I don't cry that much. I do the thing from time to time, but I ball when that scenario happens in a show and Ahsoka, she just makes me cry in action scenes Hmm. because I picture my two brave little girls who care about what's right and they care about other people and they're not Mary Sue's because they do have problems, but they, they step in and try to do the right thing. And that Ahsoka to me is this, this metaphor of female vulnerable bravery that I see in my daughters that inspires me in my daughters. And so I root hard for Ahsoka. Her goodness hmm. is something I cherish and I'm really hoping that the team at the Mandalorian and Rosario Dawson, who I believe is slated to play her, yep. have a similar vision of this character. And if they don't, I'm not going to write angry tweets like Harry Potter fans do. I mean, I'm not going to burn anybody down. I'm like watch Star Wars fans do. Yeah. But I, I think it has such potential to have that rich, brave goodness mingling with the similar characteristics manifest in a different way in Din Djarin, I think it could just be amazing. I can't I, wait to get to it. I think that the people running Star Wars know how important she is to so many people, and I think they will do it right. Because if you look at like the Clone Wars, the last season of the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. it I personally don't think it needed to happen at all, but it happened because people wanted more mm-hmm. Ahsoka. Now, there were yes. other characters and whatever, but... That, those are she's the reason characters. that that happened, and so mm-hmm. I, I think they totally, they I think they'll handle it right. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping. My that. opinion. And like I said, I want to throw. Don't, I'm not going to throw a fit. I want to throw a scenario out to you, gentlemen. Okay. Because this is now a Disney property, and mm-hmm. I think the Mandalorian, I think Mr. Filoni, Mr. Favreau have done a great job of fending off the the Disney heads, mm-hmm. not leaking Baby Yoda before merchandise was ready keeping things close to the chest. I wonder, if because I've been burned by the last trilogy, I wonder if they're going to try to get Din Djarin and Ahsoka to kiss or be married or some stupid trope. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think, think so. it they're... fits the characters, but a little bit yeah. of tension. I don't think it be. does either. <laughs> but again, I've been burned before. She lifts his helmet off slowly yeah, i don't think i need that no that's like i, yeah, I don't need it either i think they're going to be at odds honestly i Ooh. think i think if anything it's like a i don't trust you you're a wizard you scare me and i don't put up with people that scare me from his perspective and from her perspective i know enough mandalorians to know that you are a little bit different 
you don't take your helmet off. You've got some weird thing that you're in like, let's just like you hand me the baby. I'll take care of the baby and you just go over there. I think they're going to be kind of like that. Well, she had an awful set of run-ins with the, with death watch and he's an offshoot of death watch. Right. So, I mean, I mean, his ally, Mm. I mean, big machine gun guy who he was fighting with in the catacombs is pre Vizsla leader of death watches like brother or something. So, I mean, the guy who salutes as they yeah. fend off the bounty hunters. So, I mean, he's he's chummy with people who were a part of, you know, what was characterized to the Jedi as a terrorist organization who Ahsoka is going to credit with everything that went wrong under the the reign of Duchess Satine in Mandalore that ultimately ended pretty ugly with Darth Maul's presence there and everything else. So, I think you're right, Bob. I think I think you are headed for tension, and I really hope, Josh, that we like i don't know i mean they've done a good job with stuff i didn't expect so far so i i'm not demanding any yep. outcome of them um right i i don't want cheese ball i do want depth i do want ahsoka to have problems and to have to grow and overcome them and i want my daughters to see that i, I want i want them to see her deal with uh a later in life problem and i want them to put that away in their little uh mental toolbox and understand what it looks like when a well-written character faces up to things that they maybe didn't get totally right and what it looks like to maybe do that right. Um, I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, I got a last question. I know you, I, you got a billion other things to do. Talk to me about the music. How do you feel about the score? Absolutely love it. Yeah, it's so good. It is so good. And because of that, I went back and looked at Ludwig, uh, Gor- how do you say his last name? Gorenson? Old, old Ludwig. I went back and looked at Ludwig's music. I had first heard about him on, the, on uh, I almost said Pink Panther, on Black Panther. Um, he did a Song Exploder episode where he talked about making Killmonger's theme for Black Panther. And when I listened hmm. to that, I was like, this guy is in a different place. And so when I heard that he was doing Mandalorian, super excited. After hearing that, I went back and listened to a bunch of other stuff that he had done. He did the Tenet soundtrack. He mm, just yeah. takes music, and he he just does it in a weird... I mean, I love music. I spend a lot of time in music, and he does stuff that I just... I don't see it coming. It's so good. Love it. Love it, love it. Yeah. It sounds like Wyoming to me. Really? Yeah, yeah it's, it's the a, western a new, thing. It's a, it's a space western. Like, if you needed a soundtrack... If we were on Epidemic and like clicking on the bubbles on the top, it's like, I don't want moody. I don't want funny. I want space. I want Western. Hmm. It fits. Sparse, the thing that really sets, sets it off for me is it has that Western stuff, but the thing that makes it sound so otherworldly or incongruent with the space Western thing is the, the percussion from hip hop. It, and it's mm-hmm. so it's such a perfect marriage, but I never would have mm-hmm. put that together because it doesn't make any sense to me musically. But it sounds great. <laughs> you know? but yeah. I think the western. It's not just American western. Like you've got didgeridoo in there True. from like Australian western. You've got a lot of like tribal sounding drums from like African style western. Like I and think it looks that, like, like a spaghetti western. Yeah, and it's it's peripheral out, dusty, mm. just tribal, dirty. I don't know, Western, whatever I think people's colloquial, like, air quotes, Western is little bits of all of that. Hmm. And just a little bit of the knight on quest. He looks like a knight. And mm-hmm. I thought it was amazing that you have two actors from Deadwood. I, I, I mean, I, I live 
effectively, my house is in Deadwood, South Dakota. It's the <laughs> Old West. The people with big irons on their hips walk up and down the street in Deadwood where people gamble and wear cowboy hats. It's, it is as Old West as Old West gets. And I moved there for a reason. And it, I mean, it's no coincidence that the sheriff from Deadwood, Timothy Oliphant, is the sheriff of whatever right. most little town out in the out in the wilds and so you fixate on that you know the sound design where they walk into a saloon and you can hear spurs they don't have spurs i mean they ride speed yeah rides. i noticed that but it too. sounds like spurs and i love it don't change a thing and you know you, you get all of those motifs that you're so familiar with from the magnificent seven and the good the bad and the ugly and shane and all of that but also i mean that was the story of saint george and the dragon like yeah. he went into a town harassed by a monster in the woods that the simple people of the town with no night of their own could fend off and using virtue and cunning and courage and self-sacrifice, he went into the belly of the dragon and liberated the people through the power of his own character and bravery and the sharpness of his sword. And so it, it really is space and the cowboy Western, but very subtly they're mingling in the old European stories of the Knights of Yore, which I think right. is just a lovely little bonus drop into the space and Western mix. Hmm. Yeah, I think there's been a few, I can't think of them offhand, but I think there's been a few different, um, very obvious parallels to that, I don't want to say era of storytelling, but mythos right there's been like yeah. some very clear like oh well that's like way back in the the whatever and i don't have a good example so when he so went to the little shrimping town where he was going to hide out like he went to the the prairie community with the the humble farmers and they're being you know tortured by the the horde right and so he goes out yeah. and he saves the day yeah it's good thanks for giving us out guys we're, Wait, we're should we should we do a little a little Patreon exclusive because I know you do that for Brain Pick. Yeah, we can. We, we do you have a couple more minutes, Matt? Are we keeping you? Yeah, from you anything? bet. You bet. Okay, so how about we say we say bye now? Okay, and then we take another. We talked about pros and cons because a lot of the pros and cons we get are from our Maker Alliance. Yes, they're not exclusive for Maker Alliance. So next week or so, we talked about putting it out on Twitter so we can get some pros and cons topics from everybody who is on Twitter apparently, <laughs> but from more people. Yeah, but I think. A little short after show with mm -hmm. some some quick so we can get to know Matt a little bit more in our context. Yes. And Matt, we're about halfway through the season. Episode four is tomorrow. Whatever. Yep. The fourth of this season. You want to do this again after the season's over? Talk you know, about I really the... haven't enjoyed it. I think I'd, I'd prefer to never do this. <laughs> okay. You well, guys are... I find you all off-putting. We'll find somebody else. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yes, I would love to. This has been, this has been the conversation, Bob and Josh that I have been craving over this. This is the level of depth. This is the level of knowledgeable conversation partners I have wanted. I, I feel more complete and I will be dying for another one of these in a few weeks. So yes, enthusiastically, yes. I'm glad you said that because we both are friends with Destin. And so the fact that you enjoy our level of conversation more yeah. than... <laughs> Whoa. Whoa! <laughs> I just want to throw I that out think, there. I don't feel like I said that. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure you said that. We'll go back and listen to the tape. All right, Matt, thank you for doing this. We're going to do a little bit extra, extra. Everybody who is not part of the Maker Alliance, you want to hear this little extra stuff we're going to record with Matt, be sure to go join. Go to iliketomakestuff.com slash join. Matt, thank you for this. It was awesome. You bet. Thanks, guys. I had fun. And uh, I guess that's it. We'll see everybody next time. Bye-bye.